I hope everybody's having a good Monday. Hopefully a beginning of a better week uh, this week. I shouldn't say that. Maybe you had a good week last week. I don't know. Um, okay. So uh, today I wanted to talk about an, a section of Parsha's Ve'era that goes relatively, probably unnoticed by most people because it looks a lot like a lot of other parts actually of Sefer Bracious. Um, and it's not all that remarkable. Um, but I, I think it's more remarkable than we realize. Um, if you take a look at sources number one and two, they're going to... Uh, uh, well, let's just take a look at it. How about that? Source number one is uh, we f- our first introduction to Moshe Rabbeinu. Vayelech ish mi beis levi, vaykachas bas levi. Amram goes ahead and he marries Yocheved. Vatari shavatili ben vatero soki tofu vatitzvenir shlosha yerachim. They have a child, and that child uh, is, is tov. Uh, and they, uh, you know, they hide him for three months, so they can't hide him anymore. This is the beginning of the story of Moshe Rabbeinu. Much has discussed the fact that, that the Torah tells us there that uh, Amram goes and marries Yocheved. They have a baby. But they already had two children, right? They already had Aaron and, Aaron and Miriam. So why, the, you know, why the fast forward straight to Moshe Rabbeinu being born? That leads to the midrash that Amram and Yochavet had divorced, and it's Miriam who gets them back together. Um, but the the point being that we are introduced to Moshe Rabbeinu as this baby. He's born to an Ish Mibes Levi who was married to a woman from Bas Levi. Any other genealogical? Information given to us about Moshe Rabbeinu at that time? None. We don't know who his grandfather is. We don't. Well, I guess we know it's Levi, right? But we don't know much else. There's a Levi. We don't even know his father's name. Ishmi Bas Levi, Yikachas Bas Levi. It's so clearly, um, so clearly unclear, right? Who who exactly his parents are? We don't know anything about him. Uh, and then afterwards. Right, come to this week's parsha. All of a sudden, we find a very detailed list of the. Oh, I'm just gonna put the story sheet one more time. Sorry. Um, a very detailed list of Moshe's lineage, and it doesn't start with Moshe. It actually starts before that. By the Be'er Hashem El Moshe, more the source number two in the middle of parsha's Ve'era, Perak Vav of Sefer Shmos. Bo Darbel Romelach Mitzayim B'Shalachas Be'Yisrael B'Nei Yisrael Be'Arat. So God once again tells Moshe, "Let's go." Send, uh, go to Paro, time to, time to leave Mitzrayim. This, by the way, is after already Moshe has come back. Right? And Moshe's initial, uh, initial try, when he goes to Paro, it doesn't work out so well. Right? Paro makes the people work harder, and the people you know, storm back at Moshe, what did you do to us? And Moshe comes back to God. I told you they weren't going to listen to me. Paro isn't going to listen. It's a disaster. And God says, Moshe, come here. And he uh, tells him time to go back again. He repeats his issue. God, I don't get it. This, I told you it's not going to work. The, the people aren't even listening to me now. The people are revolting against me. This isn't going to happen. It just isn't going to go. How do you expect Paro to listen to me? So what happens? Um... He actually doesn't even respond totally. It just says, so God told Moshe, just go back. Don't worry about it. Don't make a big deal. Just go. Things will be okay. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of this entire story, again, it took us time to get Moshe on board. Moshe got on board. It got time. He goes to power for the first time. He comes back upset. He complains to God. And then all of a sudden, smack in the middle of the Torah stops and says, 
the following. Um, here are the children of the family of Ruvain. And it lists them. The heads of the, of the families, who they were, these are Ruvain's children, and each of them had a family. Great. Oh, okay, it's so nice. It's great. Right? Right? And now we start talking more about Levi. Levi Sami. Now we start to talk about Levi Sami. We get a little more detailed. We're told Levi's age. Ubenei Kahas, Amram, Vigitzar, Vecharon, Vuziel. Okay, now we told the, who, who Kahas was, and he had children. One of them is Amram. We're also told how old, how long Kahas lives, right, which is different than the other again. We're getting more and more detail. And then what happens? I skipped some sukkim here, so just to, for, to be fair, I skipped a little bit just to save some space here. Vaykach Amram, Etzuchem, Edul, Asol, Oli, Aaron, Moshe. So what happens? And Amram gets married. Oh, now we're told that he got married and who his wife was. And we're told that who his children are. Aaron and Moshe. And then we're told how old Amram, how Amram was until he died. But he and then Aaron gets married and who his wife was. Okay? And then, and then finally in Pasuk, Chavav, who Aaron and Moshe, Moshe, Asher, Yamar, Hashem, L'Alhem, L'Tziyos, B'nei Yisam, Eretz Mitzrayim, L'Tziyosam, Heim Ha'amadarim, Aparon, Melech Mitzrayim, L'Tziyos, B'nei Yisam, Eretz Mitzrayim, Hu Moshe V'Aron, and at that point, the lineage stops. So somebody asked me some questions about this chain of events here. I, like, I, I, like I said to you, you're listening in shul, you're like, yeah, whatever, this is like at the end of every parsha in Sefer Bracious, where we're like, oh, and Esau's children, and Yishmael's children, and, and we're like, read these, read these lists, and we don't pay much attention to them. So same thing here, right? Another list of lineage. Why is that not the case over here? Or what? Or forget my question. What stands out to you about this? Wouldn't normally you give the you you, you give the lineage and then you say that the child was born? Yeah, it's a very bizarre order. Yeah, Moshe's introduced. Very good. For so number one, Moshe's introduced in Parak Base of Sefer Shmos. We're not going to be living in Israel, Parak Vav. We waited four, four Prakim, and Moshe's done a lot already by now. He's lived 80 years of his life, actually. And 79 years of his no, 80 years, I think, of his life. And he's like, doing a lot, he's right, he's living a full life. And now all of a sudden, go back to his lineage. Very good. The order of the lineage is, is out of order. What else? I mean, sometimes you need to be reminded where you come from. Okay, but that's answers, Liz. We're looking for questions first. Sorry. But you're right. <laughs> you're right. What else? What else you got? Anything else weird about this? Why, you know, instead of just Moshe's lineage, it's everyone. You know? Ah, yeah. Why start Ruvain, Shimon? If you want to give me just Moshe's lineage, give me just Moshe's lineage. Fine. So tell me, Levi, Kahas, Amram, Moshe, Aaron. Great. Good. I understand that. Again, maybe it's out of order still. But give me, you want to give me Aaron and Moshe's lineage because Aaron and Moshe are here? Great. Why do you start with Ruvain and Shimon? And if you're going to start with Ruvain and Shimon, who should you continue with after Levi? Yehuda, Yisachar, Zerulan. Right? It's such a weird... Right? Start with from the beginning, end at Levi. You don't continue afterwards. It's very strange. Either give Moshe's lineage, and Moshe and Aaron, or give, or give everybody. What, what, what's like this kind of strange... Good. Okay. Good. Anything else? Why list that at all? Who needs it? Who needs it at all? What's it there for? All right. So those are my questions. Okay? They're really your questions. Right, number one, 
why, why, why put it out of order? What I have the guy last? Number two, why begin with the beginning and then get the motion on and don't finish? Um, and why, and why, why is it here? What, what's the whole purpose here? What are we doing this for? So the Rishonim are not, uh, uh, I didn't make up the questions. The Rishonim themselves asked, many of the Rishonim Nachronim asked these exact same questions. And I think it, they speak to, the answers speak to a number of, of lessons that are learned from the way the Torah uh, puts this all together. So let's start, let's start from Rashi. That's where you have to always start, right? You got to start with Rashi. So we'll start with Rashi. Imagine the nachas Rashi's mother has. You know, like every shear in the world starts with Rashi. It's like pretty good, right? It's pretty amazing. Anyways, sorry. Um, well, sorry? Yeah. <laughs> very good. Very good, very good, very good. Uh, Rashi's mom's probably okay. Um, okay, so yeah, so Rashi says, Make sure you go to Paris, speak to him with Kavod. That's a separate part, which is very interesting. That even as, and it's true, by the way. It's a, it's, a, it's a separate, amazing lesson. If you watch Moshe and Aaron, how they speak to Paro. Tremendous respect. They're speaking to a king. One of the most evil, treacherous kings in the history of the world. And they speak to him always with Kavod. You notice it as you, as you, go, as you go to the Parashas. It's a separate point. But what's the pshat here? You know, time to go. You gotta go to Paro. Good. We, 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 have this, we know what he's supposed to do. We, we're going to have that later. After we get this whole lineage, we're going to have the actual command. So what's this? But now they're mentioning Moshe Aaron. As long as we're mentioning Moshe and Aaron and that they're commanded to go to Paro, says Rashi, well, we should probably mention where they came from, who they were. The Torah typically does that, right? Okay, that's nice. So that's what, so what question is Rashi answering or what's bothering Rashi? Kind of why is it here at all, right? Rashi's just saying, you want to know why this is here at all? Because... If I'm making Aaron and Moshe the, the leaders of Am Yisrael, so I'd like to know where they come from. It's a good idea. We know where David and Melech comes from. We know where Yoshua comes from. Right? If you know someone's going to be a leader of the Jewish people, we should know where they come from. It's a good idea. We care about that. It matters. Okay. But that doesn't really... But it leaves us very right, unhappy still. In a certain sense. No offense to Rashi. Right? But Rashi gives his answer. But this is not... But why here? Why right? all the other parts? Yes, Rashi doesn't really explain. So look at the Orachim Hakadosh in source number four. It says Orachim in source number four. Tam shehela misefer a misbar bnei Yisrael ad Moshe. Why does it now teach us who the Jewish people were until Moshe Benu? Lefi mashe perashi, but samoch sheim licham al Yisrael yichas osam hakosav. And if you're going to be made right. The king over the Jewish people, and by the way, it's not the only time Moshe is referred to as a king. He's referred to by Chazal in numerous places as sort of like a, a pseudo king. So you can make someone the king over Am Yisrael, so he, you gotta tell us where he comes from. To tell us if you make somebody a king, they have to be someone who can have Yichas all the way back to Yaakov Avinu. Okay? So what does he mean to say here? So he says, he, the Orachim is trying to explain why this is coming up right now. Okay? And what he says is, 
the Yiches of Samakos, the Torah doesn't give us the Yiches, doesn't give us their lineage, right? Until after, right, when Moshe says, And Hashem says to him, right? Basically, Hashem says, No, 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 you are my guys. Right? You're gonna be you're gonna be the one to lead them. I gotta tell you, Moshe. Again, we're gonna have to see if this if this connects to maybe Moshe's concern which we spoke about last time, his refusal, right? But here, like, his concern about his ability to lead, and Hashem just knew, you are the leader. And it's almost as if it waited until Moshe came back to God the second time and says, no, 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 this is still not working. God says, yes, it is. You're really going. You're going to stick with this. Right? You know, like, the first time kid goes to, like, take, like, whatever, lessons or a, a sports team, and they come home, and they're like, okay, you say that, just try it once, just try it once, right? And we know we say just try it once, they're gonna, we're going to make them stick with it, right? But they just try it once, they say, no, 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 mom, it's not for me. And you say, no, 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 you're, you're going to go, this is going to be okay. How did it go the first time? It was okay, okay, so you saw it wasn't in the world, and now you're going to go, and now you're in, right? Now the kid's like, all right, fine, I guess, I did it once already, I can do this. And it's almost as if, like, I don't know what means, but this is how I'm reading it, that, that, that like, now is the time when Hashem says, no, now you're in. You did it already. You went once. Didn't go so great. But you did it. You got out the words. You spoke to him. Whatever your concerns were, you made it work. Now you're in. Now you're in? Okay. So now God says, now we got to figure out exactly who you are. All right? Now we got to tell people, if we're going to make you the king, so now we have to let them know exactly who you are. So it's kind of a technical answer from the, from the Orachayim, but that basically, now that we are going to, now Moshe is solidified as this leader of the Jewish people, so God has to give us a yichus. Fine. Avigad, do you have a question? I was just wondering if, because um, you start out with speaking how he speaks to Pharaoh with, you know, Kavod. Right. And I'm thinking that, I guess, maybe, it's also, it's not just leader of Jewish people, but like, you know, Pharaoh is a big, a big guy, but so are you. Like, he's the king of the Egyptians, and you're the king. You're going to be the king of the Jews. Yes, 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 yes. Very good. Yeah, because it's interesting. This is all coming after Moshe comes back saying, God, I can't do it. Right? I tried, and I failed. The people are angry already. I've made it worse for them. Right? He's feeling like, like, his first, like, he's having, like, you know, like he's panicking. This is not, I told you I couldn't do it. You forced me to do it. I said, okay. And then I went, and it went terrible. Like, what do you want from me? And God's like, no, 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 you don't understand. You're going to be fine. Right, you, yeah, it's very good. I could be like a, like a chizik. Very good, I like that. Okay, so let's see the Sforno. Let's see the Sforno. So the Sforno is a little different. Bidin mana as eila sarim al Yisrael. Kihem hayu nechbadi mikola uma. He says the reason that these people, right, are, are uh, chosen, Aaron and Moshe, is because there's something about him that's uniquely special. And that God is trying to show that there's something about Moshe and Aaron that's different. When, why, why is it, this one I was getting at is, why do we talk about Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, and then stop? Because in a certain sense, when you see the mob, I'm going to say a similar idea. God, in a certain sense, tried. To, we wanted to show, I didn't just choose Levi. I started. I looked in Ruven. Did I see anybody? Sorry, there wasn't anybody. I looked in Shimon. Was there anybody? Sorry, not there either. I looked in Levi. Anybody around? Ah, now I found them. Right? And he's pointing out, right, when you look through Ruven, I couldn't find anybody. Right? 
right? And the same thing with B'nai Shimon. Once these people passed away, their children weren't, weren't ready to be the leaders of Am Avalevi, and this is very interesting, Sheherich Yamim Akulam, Levi lives the longest. Of, he's going to explain not just that they were special, Moshe Aaron, but why they were special. Levi lived the longest of all the brothers. And therefore, Gidal Gamis B'nai Banav Lahavi Nulahoro. So Levi, who was left, who still knew Yaakov Avinu, Levi, one of the Shifteka, was alive. So what happened? He was able to teach more of his grandchildren and his great grandchildren. He was able to see them and speak with them and teach them. And there, there was like something special that was there in this family because they had their, they had their great-grandfather around longer. So they had that sense of Misora, that, that sense of who they were. They had an identity in a different way from the other Shvatim. And because of that, Levi had something unique in them. Very nice. We can read it as a, like a little bit like not fair. Like, well, who, why you choose Levi over the others, right? You could say it that way. But the other way to look at it is there was something unique about the educational experience that these kids had. They had a different type of experience. And because of that, they had a special relationship, you know, to the Rebona Shal and a special relationship to leadership. And they were able to rise above. And the reason why Kaddish Baruch Hu lists them this way, Reuven, Shimon, Levi, stop, was true because he was really just trying to list out Moshe and Aaron's lineage. But he wanted to show that there was something unique there. There's something special that they experienced that allowed them to have this special opportunity to be the leaders of Am Yisrael. So in that sense, again, it's, it's still a little bit um, just technical in the sense that it's, it's what practically happened. Right? But, what, but the way the, the Svarna brings it out is that there was this, this unique relationship that Aaron and Moshe had with, not necessarily that they knew Levi, but they knew you know, Amram, who were new Levi, or whatever it was, they had this kind of unique relationship, and that gave them something special. We, my, my, my wife and I, you know, often talk, my wife was, listens a lot to Shi'urim from Rabbi Shai Shechter. You guys know Rabbi Shai, Rabbi Shai Shechter, Rabbi Herschel Shechter's son. So Shai is a, he's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Shi'urim. So my wife always would tell me, he'll oftentimes say, you know, I was talking to my father, Rabbi Shai Shechter's father, Rabbi Herschel Shechter's Rosh Hashim, why you one of the biggest, you know, probably one of the biggest Tamiya Chum in the world right now. Shechter is just, you know, the biggest. And he talks sometimes just about like growing up with Rav Shechter as his father. It's like a very unique, special thing to have in your life. And it just, it, he, he talks about it with this like this Im- immense, um, you know, pride. And, he, and, and you see it. It's, it's, it's special. It's special. We're all special and we all get to have special relationships with our own parents and grandparents. And I wouldn't trade my parents for, for anything. But it is, it is beautiful to, to listen to because you see there's like a certain connection there. Right? That's unique. And maybe in a certain sense, that's what Arnim Moshe had. They had something special, the special, the special sauce that they, that they were Zohar to, which they still, by the way, had to make use of themselves, but they still had it. Fine. What about the Malbim? The Malbim says it in, in, in a similar idea. Um, and the truth is, you don't really have to look at the Malbim that much because he sort of says something I did this for now. He basically says, and with more words, um, that basically it was like sifting, that God was like sifting to the sand looking for special, special gems. And he goes, Ruvain, sorry, couldn't find him there. Shimon, not really. All of a sudden, Levi, he finds them. And that's why he responds again, that who Aaron and Moshe, we finally found them, and then we can stop. We don't have to go to Yehuda and Yisachar and Zulun, because we found them. Fine. But there are a couple of other interesting points here that come out in the way that, that Aaron and Moshe are, are listed and where their lineage goes. So Rashi, in source number seven, points out also something that at the end of this whole list, the Torah says, who Aaron and Moshe? How do you usually list Moshe and Aaron? Sorry, I just said it. What do you usually mm-hmm. call them? 
Moshe and Aaron, right? Usually, Moshe, Moshe Aaron, right? We, we, we refer to them as Moshe and Aaron. Here the Torah says, who Aaron and Moshe? Says Rashi, these are the people mentioned earlier, who were born by Yocheved and Amram, who Aaron and Moshe, yesh mekomos shemaktim Aaron le Moshe, v'yesh mekomos shemaktim Moshe le Aaron. Why? Lomar lecha sheshkulin ke'echad. Why do I sometimes mention Aaron first and sometimes Moshe first? To tell you that they're really the same. They were equal. One was not really greater than the other. Okay. It's a nice idea. It's beautiful. It's only one problem with it. And Rav Moshe finds and notices the problem. What's the problem with that explanation? That they were the same. Any problem? They weren't. They weren't. <laughs> Why were? How do you know they weren't? So they're not equal, they're not the same in the sense they have different responsibilities. Good. How else are they not equal? How else are we not? I don't think God ever told Aaron to say something to Moshe. I could be wrong. Well, God, God does sometimes speak to Aaron, right? He does. Aaron is also a Navi, but there's a tremendous difference between the Navu of Aaron and the Navu of Moshe. What's the difference? Moshe is the leader of Amishel. Moshe is the head. Moshe is the boss. Moshe is the top. Right? Aaron doesn't, I mean, Aaron doesn't go up in our scene and get the Torah. Right? We don't call it the five books of Aaron. It's the five books of Moses. Right? And, and, and the one, the, one of the places where it's made most clear um, is after Aaron and Miriam speak Lashon Hara in some way about Moshe Rabbeinu. So what does God do? He pops up and shows up to Aaron and, Aaron and Miriam all of a sudden out of nowhere. And the Midrash goes, they're running to grab water. They were freaked out. They're talking to God this way. And God says to them, don't judge Moshe Rabbeinu because he's not like you. And he says, we're different. You're different than him. How's he, how are you different? Because one of the arguments they had was, how can he separate from his wife? We're also Nevi'im. This is the Rashi brings up this Medrash. What do we mean? We also speak to God. But we live with our, with our spouses. We're not, we're not you know, superhuman. And God says, yeah, not exactly. He says that Moshe Rabbeinu has to be ready at a moment's notice to speak with me face to face. Moshe is the only Navi who spoke to God face to face while awake. Every other Navi in the history of the world spoke to God only when they were sleeping. They'd have to get themselves prepared, etc. But it was always when they were asleep. Right? Bilam, the most famous, Lahabda, but Bilam also is a Navi. Every time he, he speaks to the, the men who come to bring him, what does he say to them? Sleep over tonight because I got to go to sleep. When I go to sleep, God will talk to me. Right? That's the way every Navi speaks to God only when they're sleeping, including Moshe, including Aaron and Miriam. Only Moshe speaks to God face to face. Moshe and Aaron are not the same. Right? When Moshe dies, this is different than when Aaron dies. Right? This is a different person. Moshe Rabbeinu is Moshe Rabbeinu. He is not, Aaron Cohen is a tremendous person, right? A tremendous person, a Navi, a leader, a, all, but he's not the same as Moshe Rabbeinu. So what, is, what does Rashi mean when he says that they're schooling him? Aaron and Moshe, Moshe and Aaron. How can that be? So look at, look, search number eight is a, a piece from Moshe finds. I don't usually bring you from Drash Moshe, but it's a be- he has beautiful, beautiful uh, safer on the parsha of Moshe Feinstein. And he writes as follows, Who Aaron and Moshe? Perish Rashi, Yeshmakomosh and Makdim Aaron the Moshe, Yeshmakomosh and Makdim Moshlaaron the Masha Shkulenheim. Right? Like we just said from Rashi, they're the same. Vudavar Tamua, it's astounding. Shemosha Haya Adonadavim. Moshe was the greatest Navi there ever was. Virabun shall call Aulam. He doesn't say Shrabun shall call Yisrael. 
He's the rabbi of the whole world. And he was the one who gave the Torah to Am Yisrael. How can you say that Aaron is the same as Moshe? I can give you two answers, he says. Number one, the Kevin, the Gam Aaron, Aaron was also had a job right, to help take Am Yisrael out of Mitzrayim. Even though Moshe had greater strength in a certain sense, was greater than him. Since he needed Aaron too, as we know, if there was no Aaron, this wasn't going to happen. And so Aaron was necessary, he was absolutely necessary to make this happen. And therefore, Hayden Shavin, they're the same in the sense that they were both absolutely critical. And without both, they couldn't, you couldn't have left Mitzrayim. The part that he needed, that sense that, that Moshe needed Aaron, so in that sense, they were equal in that area. Fine, that's one answer. Second answer. The Kevin the Aaron Asa Koyama Bishla I love this answer. Kevin the Aaron Asa Koyama Bishlamus, Kol Ratz and Hashem Isparach, Shaya Efshalo, Efshalasos, who shakal Kamosha. What makes Aaron like Moshe? They're not the same level, but Aaron had a job in the world. And he did the best that he could. He maximized his potential as Aaron. And since he did that, he's the same as Moshe. Why? He's the same level as Nebuah? No. But Aaron didn't have the same potential Moshe had. What made Moshe Moshe was that he maximized his potential to become the Adon HaNavim. What made Aaron the same? That he also maximized his potential and became the greatest he could be. Right? The, the well-known uh, line from, uh, so well-known, I should remember the name, right? From Zusha, Rabbi Zusha, the student of Baal Shem Tov, who said, when I go to Shemayim, they're not going to ask me why weren't you Moshe Rabbeinu? And they're not going to ask me why wasn't I Yoshua? And they're not going to ask me why wasn't Dabba Melech? They're going to ask me, why weren't you the best Zusha you could be? It's, it's the simplest, most beautiful idea, but maybe the most important idea we could ever learn for ourselves or teach our children, right? To be the best you. And that, but that, that but Moshe is saying is that, that is, that's exactly what it means. Who I wrote Moshe to mean they were the same. Why? Because they both maximized their own potential. Right, he says at the end there, they both did what they were commanded to do and what they were sent to do. They're the same. Right? As the Bible Shabbat used to say, everybody is sent. We are all sent. And we're all sent with a job to do. And if we're all sent as a shlich from Hashem to get a job done, if we get that job done, then we're like Moshe Ben. And that explains, by the way, another line in, in the Rambam. The Rambam writes that every single person, I think he writes in Hilchah Shuvah, writes that every single person has the ability, if they want, right? You could be a tzaddik if you want. And you would, within Hilchah Shuvah, the Rambam writes, talks about the Bechira Chavshis, everyone's free choice. Person wants they could be the greatest Russia in the world. If they want they could be the greatest Sadak in the world, he says he could be a Sadak like Moshe Rabbeinu. And the Rosh asked, "What do you mean be like Moshe Rabbeinu? I can't be like Moshe Rabbeinu. No, no one in our generation can get Nevuah. So what does that mean? The answer is what Moshe says: to be a person who maximizes your potential. That's your job, and that's everyone's ability. Everyone's ability to do that, which I, which I love. Um, so in that sense, this doesn't explain the entire lineage, but it does explain that who Aaron and Moshe, why, why listing them both together and explain together who they are. To, to, to uh, bring home this point, which I think is really nice. But Rav Hirsch, um, as, as usual, Rav Shem Hirsch gives us a really uh, different approach to this and as to why it was so important to learn the lineage of Moshe Rabbeinu. In source number nine, if you look at the first full paragraph on the left side, he says as follows. If we further consider the point at which we're given this list of their lineage and family relations, we can perhaps come to understand the significance and purpose of all of this information. 
Refresh is always bothered by these types of questions. What's all here for? What am, what am I doing? Because Refresh was always, this is his job in the world, right? Refresh's tafkid in the world was fighting the reform and people who were laughing at Judaism and people who, who thought Judaism was archaic and ancient and just change it all. And it, it's, 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 it's this extra random weird stuff that doesn't mean anything. So Refresh always took his time to find every piece of the Torah, why it made sense and why it was there and why it was critical and what, and what, 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 what it was here for. Until now, the efforts of Moshe and Aaron have been completely frustrated. Were it not for later events, there would be no need for such an exact list of their lineage and family relations. Right? Until now, they haven't done anything, so who cares who they are, right? Now, however, begins their triumphal mission. They're about to start their success now. The likes of which no mortal has ever accomplished before. Before them or ever accomplished after them. Now, it is of critical importance to present an exact list of their lineage and relations so as to attest thereby for all time to come that their origin was ordinary and human and that the nature of their being was ordinary and human. Right? What's, he's going to say it out, outright in a second, right? But Refresh is being very clear here, right? We want, the Torah wants everyone to know who Moshe's mother was, who Moshe's father was, that he was a human being, that he died. This was not anything other than that, Right? Right from the earliest times it has happened that men who were outstanding benefactors to their people were, after their death, divested of their human image. And because of their godlike feats were invested with a divine origin. He's talking about Jesus, right? We all know of a certain Jew in later times whose genealogical record was not available. And because it was not available, and because he brought people, uh, brought people a few sparks of light borrowed from the man Moshe, he came to be considered by the nations as begotten of God, to doubt his divinity became a capital crime. All right, so he makes it very clear that the reason why the Torah goes out of its way to explain to you exactly where Moshe Rabbeinu comes from, who his parents are, who his cousins are, who his aunts and uncles are, everybody, we're going to know the whole family, right? Way beyond anything we ever needed to know. Why? is to make it very clear that Moshe Rabbeinu is a human being. Right? And that speaks all the way at the end why Moshe Rabbeinu is buried in a place where no one can find him. Right? Presumably for the same reason. Because we didn't want anyone to ever think that, that, that the, the, the burial place of Moshe Benu should become a place for Vodazar. But which, by the way, was the same concern that Yaakov Avinu had, right? One of the reasons Yaakov wants to be buried not in Egypt is doesn't want people to turn him into a deity. Same thing, the Rebbe Shalom had that same concern. Why? Because Rebbe Shalom doesn't have time. So he knew what was coming ahead, right? what people would do to people like this. Um, okay, so that, that again, also, that doesn't speak to... Um, Refersed is answering both our questions, right? Because if Hirsch wants to explain not just why we're giving the lineage, but why we're giving the lineage here. Because the lineage here comes just as the success is about to begin. Right? Before the success is about to begin, there's no, there's no reason to tell me yet. Just at the moment when they're about to become these larger-than-life personalities, right? When they're starting to do miracles that no one's seen in their life. Right? This is the perfect time. Moshe Ben does way more than walk on water, right? This is, like, big, Right? And that's when people want to start saying Moshe took us out of Mitzrayim. It's the same concern the Haggadah has. And that, that's why Moshe Rabbeinu is out of the Haggadah. It's the same exact reason. No one should start put, pinning this on Moshe Rabbeinu, recognizing that he's a human being and nothing more than that. But it's such an important concern that we have this entire section of the lineage for that exact, for that exact purpose. Um, okay. Two more. Two more answers. We've got a lot of answers today. Sorry, a lot of answers today. So, two more. This one is not a direct answer, but I think it's interesting. This is from the Piyazetz and the Rebbe, Kalanamas Kalamash Shapira, in Eish Kodesh. 
So, so there is someone who, who uh, it's very hard Hebrew. Ish the Hebrew is very, very challenging. And someone uh, put together, the, the, the old days, Aronson, the editors, Aronson, you know, booksellers, put together a translation called Sacred Fire. It's very hard to find, actually. Um, but they put together this translation of, of Ish Kodesh. And, uh, and they explain as follows. This is what Moshe was hinting when he said, who am I should I actually go to Paro? Right, what does Moshe say? Right? I can't do this. Right? How can I possibly get the Jews out of Egypt? Moses was the most humble person ever to walk the earth. He was constantly asking himself, who am I? How can I possibly, right? It can't be me. The B'nai Shalom won't listen to me, etc. So God said to him, it's not true that you're not fit. And it's not true that, and, and it's not true that you have faults and blemishes, God forbid. Your self-doubting is itself a form of worship. The type of worship that illuminates the world coming as it does through a chain of causality from the name of God, that is the future. When, God's, when Moshe last week says to Hashem, I'm going to come to the people, what should I tell them? Who, who, which God sent me? What's your name? And what does God say? Asher right? I, I am that will, I, I will be that will be. It's like the, the strangest possible answer. Right? We've spoken about this before, actually, I think also. It's a very strange response. So what's the, what's the purpose of that response? So because that's says, what it means is, I'm the God Right? Of Ehayeh, the God who wants to see what will be. I don't care about the past. I want to see what will be. Right? Comes in the name of God, Ehayeh, I will be. When a person feels there's nothing worth looking at in his heart, but says, I'm nothing right now, but from now on I will try to be something, his worship takes on the aspect of God's name, Ehayeh, I will be. It draws out a reciprocal promise of Ehayeh, I will be. So I, I think, I think what, what this speaks to is not to, you know, specifically addressing our question. Um, but it, it does speak to that same concern, Abigail, I think you mentioned from the beginning, that Moshe Bini feels a sense of like, I don't know, this is not for me, right? I don't, I don't really think I can do this. Um, in a certain sense, what God does then is says, no, you are going to go, and then lists his lineage. And says, Moshe, you come from, you're okay. You come from just a fine place. You're really good, and you're going to be okay. And I care where you came from, but I really care about where you're going to go. And I think you have that ability to, to do more. And that's why God kind of comes in and says to him, Moshe, you can, you can do this now. Because look where you come from. You come from people who have done this, people who know where they are, and people who know where they were headed. Right? He, he knew his grand, great-grandfather. If he knew Levi or he knew someone who knew Levi. Right? You, have, you, you, you do know this more than you realize you knew it. It's like a chizik. And this, this sense that Kaddish Baruch throughout the time is giving Moshe this chizik that he can do it, he can do it, he can do it. I think is a very, uh, you know, speaks to this, this element of the, of the story also. I just love, I love the idea, maybe this is just for me, I love the idea that Moshe Rabbeinu always needs chizik. We think of like, you know, whatever chizik meant for him. Right? He's not the same as us. But the idea that somebody that we look to as like, you know, the Adon HaNeviim, that he sometimes added himself and sometimes wasn't sure and sometimes didn't know if he could do it. And it's not just the beginning. It goes throughout the stories, right? In the middle of the midbar, I can't do this, God, this is too hard for me. Just forget it already. I can't do it. Right? And then he like, gets his strength back and he tries again and then he gets, has a hard time and then he tries again. It's such, a, it's such an empowering message and such an important message I think we don't talk about enough is that Moshe has these kind of like ups and downs in his, in his career, in his life as a leader. It's a very uh, challenging life that he lives. But it doesn't, and it doesn't come easily just because he is, has this like superpower. He is tremendously skilled, but he has a lot to work through and God continuously gives him chizik and says, it's okay, you can do it. I, I, I believe in you. Um, and this takes us, I think, to the last to the last idea here, which is Rabbi Golden, who, as you know, I love to quote Rabbi Golden. Rabbi Golden, in source uh, number eleven, gives us one more mahalach. Why, however, when this is all said and done, 
are these two sections necessary? The Torah eventually reveals the genealogy of Aaron and Moshe. Why not do so immediately as soon as Moshe is first introduced in the text? An approach can be suggested if we view these two passages as delineating a balance that shapes the life of every human being. On the one hand, the glaring omission of Moshe's interesty in Parashat Shemot serves to remind us that the most important aspects of our lives are self-determined. While God decides to whom we are born, when and where we are born, our genetic makeup, etc., we determine, through our own free will, who we will become. Right? So God doesn't start by telling us where Moshe came from, because if it started that way, it's oh, okay, fine. So like, of course it's Moshe Benu, because like, hello, right? What, do you, what, else, what else do you expect? He comes from perfect yichis. He has perfect parents and perfect grandparents and never had any challenges. And, and they're all tzaddikim. And, oh, so fine, so of course, Moshe Benu is Moshe Benu. So what does the Torah do? It doesn't tell us where Moshe comes from. Right? We're not going to tell you even who his parents were. We're not even going to tell you their names. Why? Because it doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, Moshe Benu becomes Moshe Benu because of the choices that he makes. Moshe ascends to leadership because of the choices he makes. The Torah therefore emits his parentage at the moment of his birth. Yichis does not determine the quality of Moshe's life. On the other hand, while pedigree is neither the sole nor the most important determinant of a person's character, an individual's family background certainly contributes to the formation of that character. Our ancestry creates the backdrop against which we weave the tapestry of our lives. Moshe's story would have been incomplete if his family had not been mentioned. The genealogical table presented at the beginning of Parshas Ve'era is provided to fill those gaps. As you said so eloquently, Liz, at the way beginning of the whole, whole conversation, sometimes you got to know where you come from also. Right? you got to know where you come from also. The omission of the names of Moshe's parents and relatives on the occasion of his birth reminds us that Moshe achieves greatness on his own. The inclusion of those names in Parshas Ve'era reminds us of the role his family background plays in enabling him to succeed in his quest. The way I think about this is when people call me for Shidduchim and they say, what's the family like? And I say, I'm happy to tell you what the family is like second, if you'd like. But first I'd like to talk to you about this wonderful young woman and how amazing she is on her own or young man and what great mitos he has and what great person he is. Da, 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 right? I'll tell you that also he has a wonderful family and that's beautiful and amazing. And I'll tell you all about that. But, you know, actually, that's not true. I don't get people much of that way if they call me in the phone. But I want to say it sometimes. Um, but when I talk to my Talmudim and they ask me, uh, how important is it that uh, she comes from this family or that family or this family? So I say, it's not unimportant. Right? You're, 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 the person's family is, is a beautiful, you know, uh, it comes from a, a family that has, is supportive. It's, that's great. But there are wonderful young men and young women who come from families that have a lot of challenge. And they're wonderful, wonderful kids. And they're going to be wonderful spouses and wonderful of the Hashem. And the, the, the number one determinant is who the person is. Who are you as a person? What kind of choices does this person make? What kind of values do they have? Who are they as a person? And then you want to know also the family? Fine, so I'll tell you also a little bit about the family, which is wonderful also. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's such an important, an important point. And this, I like Rabbi Golden, you know, kind of balances the two. They're not, it's not that family is unimportant. Of course it's important. It's one of the most important things in our lives or our family. But uh, it doesn't determine everything about us. We get, we get a lot of, but, we, but at the same time, when we find personal success, we shouldn't forget the family that has gotten us there, right? And I think there's like that, that balance between the two that, that is nuanced, but I think is really important. So we got a lot of answers to our questions. Um, but I think the, the, the main point here is that Moshe Rabbeinu are, Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron are coming, right? Are, 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 are introduced to us in a way 
that we shouldn't forget that they're human beings and we shouldn't forget that they're people. Uh, we shouldn't forget that their success comes because they have maximized their personal potential, which I think is what makes them great. They are great. They're not regular people. They're not like, like, like us. Um, and that greatness comes because they've, they've found a way to master themselves and to, and to see the potential in themselves and to, and to absolutely, um, you know, excel in it. Um, at the same time, they need a chizik sometimes in Bon Shalom to tell them you could, you could do it. And like we all need a chizik here and there. Um, and even when they're trying to find their, their uh, own personal success, they're not, they should never forget the families that they came from. Um, and as an aside, we should remember that they're human beings, they're not deities, because that's also important for our theology. And so I throw that one in there also as an important way of introducing these two individuals, which theologically is very, very important. Um, you know, and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's more than just consequential in terms of how we understand our leaders and who they are and who, what, they're, what they're not. So I think that's speaking to this as well.